Well, hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi. And how the hell are you? Are you doing all right? Did you have fun over the weekend? Did you see your family? Did you stay home and watch Netflix? What did you do? I want to know. I wound up spending the entire weekend with my girlfriend's family. Yes, I did. So it's kind of an interesting thing for me because growing up, we never really had this family thing. I mean, there was my mother and my father and my sister and my brother and me. And if we had a family function, it was the five of us. It wasn't like 25 or 30 of us. And once, I think one Thanksgiving, we had our neighbor, Mr. T, this sweet old man who lived next door, who was my buddy, who I used to go hang out with and watch professional wrestling. This is before Cindy Lauper got professional wrestling to be a big deal. It was really just for white trash people with no front teeth back then. And if you are listening to this and you're a white trash person with no front teeth, I love you, baby. More power to you. But that's really what race wrestling was all about. Then Cindy Lauper got into it and somehow or another it became like socially acceptable. I still can't get used to that. It's a kind of a weird thing like Hulk Hogan and all these guys. They became like rock stars. Speaking of which, like what about The Rock? He started out with professional wrestling. Now he's like a megastar, right? But I digress, par usual. I remember going to see the professional wrestling in Asbury Park, New Jersey in Convention Hall when it was definitely not the norm and not mainstream at all. And I went with Mr. T. He was kind of a sweet guy, a nonviolent sweet guy, but he loved to see these wrestlers get beaten up in the ring. So I went and my sister went. And we were sitting there partially watching the wrestling match. And back then there always seemed to be a platinum hair guy, some guy with his hair bleached out platinum hair called Pretty This or Pretty That. And he was always beating up or getting beaten up by someone who looked like a ninja or a sumo wrestler or, you know, this is the 70s. Come on. So the biggest show actually was turning around and looking at the audience. I remember seeing this little sweet old lady with white hair and her purse. I mean, she was so adorable. She looked like, you know, she could be on Forrest Gump, you know, adorable, sweet little old lady. And the second the match started, she screamed, kill him, kill him. I mean, just like venom. I was like, oh, my Lord, grandma's gone loco, you know. But I digress. So this one Thanksgiving, we invited sweet little Mr. T over. And he thought this is a great thing because normally, you know, he would go to the church. He was always mowing the lawn for the church, always doing things for the church didn't seem to me he was greatly appreciated, the poor guy. Every once in a while, they would invite him over for some holiday supper. And I don't think it was so thrilling for him. So to get invited over to our family for a private dinner for Thanksgiving, that was really thrilling for him. But uh, I don't think he was quite ready for my family. So, of course, there was no turkey on Thanksgiving because even though, yes, you could get a kosher turkey... And by the way, word to the wise here, if you're someone who likes to brine turkey, if you get a kosher turkey, you don't have to brine it because it was already brined to get kosher. 
just throwing that out there, even though we're nowhere near Thanksgiving, but since we're talking about turkey. But we never had a turkey because my mother was like, oy vey, the time it would take to defrost this thing, forget it. You know, she could have settled the West in the time it would take to defrost a turkey. Not that my mother would settle the West. She probably would go to find some salad bar on a fast food restaurant in the West, though. So she would instead have something many Thanksgivings in a row, like Empire Kosher Fried Chicken. So this is kosher fried chicken that showed up frozen. So now it is thawed out Empire kosher fried chicken that got heated up a little too long in the oven. And somehow it wound up being overcooked and sort of burnt, but simultaneously mushy and kind of gross because it was a thawed out fried chicken thing. I don't know. It's like when you would bite into it, all of the breading would come off in your mouth. So you'd bite into this piece of wackadoo fried chicken and you would have a mouthful of breading that was kind of gooey so your gums would sort of stick together and you'd be sitting there holding a piece of chicken with no breading on it. I mean, after a while, I just gave up. I was like, this is like chicken in a sleeve or something. So I just like pulled off the breading. I said, forget it. I'm just going to have roast chicken. That's what's underneath anyway. So Mr. T was kind of like, he had, didn't really have any teeth anyway. He had his dentures. And then when he got all the kosher chicken goo in his mouth and he couldn't open his mouth because his mouth was stuck together, he was starting to lose the appeal, you know, of hanging out with my family. And then we had cranberry sauce. This was a big delight because we all said, we, you know, our friends would go and tell us, oh, we had turkey and cranberry sauce and gravy. And it, oh, man, it sounded so great. And we'd come home and be like, Mom, can we please have cranberry sauce? Can we please have turkey? Well, we couldn't get the turkey. But my mother saw that cranberry sauce was on special. I think it was like four cans for a dollar. And I think if you're going to get cranberry sauce in a can, you shouldn't just dump it out on a plate and put it in the center of the table so you have like a red can of cranberry sauce you know, basically, that's it still looks like a can. It's just like a, even got the swirls around the sides, you know, like the shape of the can, everything. You should at least take a fork and kind of mush it up and make it look like, we know you didn't make it, but, you know, try, you know. But no, my mother couldn't be bothered. And there'd be iceberg lettuce in giant hunks. This was, you know, you've had heard of a wedge salad. My mother's idea of a wedge salad was the iceberg cut into four. So actually, these days, that is a wedge salad. So you're like, well, I just spent $35 for a salad just like that. A giant hunk of iceberg lettuce cut in like a huge hunk, not little slices. Now you might go to a fancy restaurant and have that giant hunk on your plate with a little drizzle of blue cheese dressing and pay $35 for it. Why? Because you're an idiot. Idiot, darling. And I'm not saying I haven't done it myself. I love a good wedge salad. But back then, when Harriet, my mother, would serve these boulders of iceberg lettuce, it was very unappetizing. And also, we didn't get any dressing. My mother and father did not believe in salad dressing. They also didn't believe in olive oil. I don't think I saw a bottle of olive oil until I was about 18 years old. It would always be like Mazzola corn oil or vegetable oil. 
So I suppose if we wanted to dress our iceberg hunk, boulder, we could have drizzled a little vegetable oil on it and, and some garlic powder, but you know, these things didn't occur to my family. And then it'd be a giant wedge of raw onion and a giant wedge of tomato. And you really needed a steak knife to cut this stuff down so you could get it in your mouth. But somehow or another, my father never needed a knife. He also never chewed. He just kind of steam shoveled. It was like, it was like, I think of like a shark, like feeding a shark. He'd open his mouth, it would all go in, you know. So Mr. T is experiencing this gastronomic meltdown. The big can of cranberry thing and the mushu guy pan empire kosher fried chicken, whatever the hell it was. And his teeth were stuck together with the breading. And then there would be canned asparagus. I think I, first time I found out asparagus actually was green and didn't have to be mushy, I think I was probably 17 or 18 years old. So I'd only ever known asparagus to be yellow and to come out of the can. So we had the yellow canned asparagus and the can of cranberry funk and the gooey defrosted empire kosher fried chicken and the big hunks of iceberg lettuce and giant hunks of onion and giant hunks of tomato. But it's not a Thanksgiving without some sort of a starch, right? So what might be nice? Perhaps some mashed potatoes. That'd be a lovely thing for Thanksgiving, wouldn't it be? But that also would be way too much work for my mother to peel the potatoes and boil them and then mash them up, forget it. So it was like some potato out of a box thing. I don't know what the hell it was, but basically she added water to it and heated it up and it was like some potato mix thing, I don't know. It had an aftertaste, which I guess was MSG. And I think my mom tried to jazz it up by giving it some nutmeg. So it tasted like MSG and nutmeg. And that was our Thanksgiving, you know, soiree. But my mother thought, well, we have to have a dessert. So again, I got hopeful because I told her about the apple pie one friend had and the cherry pie another friend had and the blueberry pie another friend had and the French toast for dessert another friend had and all of these great things people told me about. I was all excited. We got an Entenmann's cake. It was a Tom the Turkey Entenmann's cake shaped like a turkey, looked like a turkey, was called the Tom the Turkey Entenmann's Cake. I think Carvel Ice Cream also, around the same time, had a sort of a Tom the Turkey ice cream cake too. Do you remember that? Anyway, so this was an Entenmann's Cake, and I actually don't know if it was named Tom, but we called it Tom the Turkey. And it was on sale. I think it should have been five bucks or something. I don't know. It was on sale for like 50 cents or a dollar, some crazy cheap price. And why was it so cheap? Because evidently, somehow or another, someone had sat on it. So what we got was a smushed turkey. It looked like Tom the turkey was run over by a truck. And you couldn't really eat it with a fork. You kind of needed a spoon. And it was just fairly disgusting. Um, At that point, when the smushed you know, run over turkey cake came out. That's when Mr. T decided that he'd had about enough. He started making his apologies. He said, well, thank you. He's a very polite man. He said, thank you very much for inviting me over. I've had a, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. He had a cat named Nifty that I actually gave him, uh, which is another story. 
because I snuck and got a kitten once and hid it in my room and my mother never knew. But then when it snuck out of my room one day, my mother screamed because she thought it was a rat and I grabbed it and I ran next door and I gave it to Mr. T and that's where it lived ever after watching the professional wrestling with Mr. T. So he's like, I need to go and feed my cat. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And off he went and never, ever, ever wanted to go to our family's house again. And I can't say I blame him one little bit. So, you know, to go to a family, get together with a lot of people is a weird thing for me. I mean, the first time my girlfriend Lila invited me to meet her family, I figured I'm going to meet maybe three people. Maybe I'll meet her sister V. Maybe I'll meet her sister Pat. Maybe I'll meet their husbands. And that, that would be quite a large party, right? But no, she invites me over to meet her family for a Sunday supper at her sister V's house. And I think there must have been 35 friggin' people there. I'm not kidding. It was like the sisters and the husbands and the kids and the grandkids and the cousins and the uncles and the aunts and the neighbors and the niece-in-laws and the nephews-in-laws and the cousins-in-laws. I just can't keep track something between 30 and 35 people they added folding tables to the table in the dining room and I was like oh my lord you know and it's like it's scary to meet your new girlfriend's family it is when I met her parents also on top of everything else that's kind of scary and I'm a fairly self-confident person you know so I was ready to meet the parents and meet the siblings I was all set up for that to meet the brother-in-laws I was ready but to meet like 35 friggin' people, forget it. That was scary. So I was trying to keep my cool, make conversation, you know, go with the flow, be helpful, you know. And I sort of needed an icebreaker. So her, my girlfriend's brother-in-law, Steve, came up to me. And he said, um let me ask you a personal question. I was like, "Uh uh-oh, here I go. I'm going to get grilled by the family. They want to know if I'm good enough for her. Let's see what happens. He's like, let me ask you a personal question. I'm like, okay. And he goes, do you think I should have my, I can't say this on public radio, but let's say Tushy, T-U-S-H-Y, anus, anus. There, I could say anus on public radio. I checked that. I Googled it. Anus, I love you, anus. Do you think, well, that's not what he said, but you know what I mean. Do you think I should have my anus bleached? Anyway, I just started laughing and laughing and laughing, and he started laughing, and everyone started laughing, and it was a total icebreaker. And from that point on, I never felt nervous around my girlfriend's family again. I mean, it was like, basically, I was welcomed. I got the anal welcome, you know what I mean? And I, I kind of, I was like, I fit right in with these people. This dude's totally talking about his anus. I can totally hang with them. You know, because Italians are very similar to Jews in a lot of ways. We both have guilt, we both have food, and we both have family. Except the order changes. I think for Jews, it's food. It's food first, then guilt, then family. And I think for the Italians, it's um, family first, then food, then guilt, or something like that. But similar, you know? I mean, growing up, my mother used to hang out with my best friend Sandy Valentino's mother. And Sandy Valentino was super Italian. Her mother was old-school, old-fashioned Italian with a heavy Italian accent. And my mother with her Yiddish accent. 
and they would sit on the front porch of Sandy Valentino's huge house in New Jersey. And Sandy and I would be upstairs in her bedroom sneaking and smoking joints and cigarettes and laughing, and she would always have some something fun to do. We'd just get stoned and smoke cigarettes, and we'd be up there giggling. And we'd, like, open the window and listen, and her mother and my mother would be sitting there on the front porch crying and talking about how rotten their children were. My mother would be like, my Slava doesn't care whether I live or die. And Sandy Valentino's mother is like, my Sandy, what a rotten thing she is. This is why I give birth to have rotten children like this. I mean, back and forth with the Yiddish accent and the Italian accent. Okay, I didn't do a good job with the accents, and I didn't even try because it's late and I'm not in the mood. But trust me, it's the same thing, Jews and Italians. So I had a whole weekend with Lila's family. And again, you know, like 500 million people. So first we went to her niece, niece's house, Tina Marie, who is kind of a gorgeous creature. I think she, someone probably wanted her to model when she was younger. I think she said they did, I'm sure they did. Cause she's very slender and very tall and muscular with major cheekbones. And you just know that someone would have wanted her to model. And, um, she was some marathon swimmer. She's like an athlete too. And her kids are gorgeous. Now they were like little kids when I met my girlfriend and now they're like 17 year old bombshells. I hate the way these kids keep growing up. It's downright irritating. The least they could do is stay kids for a while, you know, just so I can kind of get used to it. It's like I see them on a Tuesday and they're a little kid and I'm telling them stories about my childhood. And then, like, on a Thursday, they're 17 years old, and they didn't give a hoot whether I live or die because, you know, they're 17. But I digress. Anyway, so I went, and there was a crazy ton of food, and there was a million people, and everyone under the age of 10 or 11 was in the swimming pool, and everyone was laughing, and I was drinking something called High Noon. Have you had one of those yet? It's like a, it looks like, um, I guess like a hard seltzer. And it's got flavors. So I had a pink grapefruit flavored and vodka beverage of some kind. I don't know. You could probably get it anywhere where you get beer. I'm not doing an advertisement for High Noon. I'm just telling you it was delicious. And I got a buzz from it. But I digress. Anyway, so I did all of that. And then I spent the night with my girlfriend's nephew who has this super swank house. I mean, I don't know anyone with a house that swank. And he actually built this apartment in his basement. I've never seen anything like it. It was like you were in a four-star hotel. It was crazy. Every single thing, every corner had something perfect. Here's the coffee machine. Here's your towel. Here's your this. You know, just two giant TVs, a big plush couch. I'm telling you, I felt like the Queen of England. And then the next day, another giant family event with a ton of food and a hundred million people there. And I'm like, holy moly. Okay, first of all, these are not selfish hosts and hostesses in this family. Like you show up, when I showed up for the uh, next barbecue, I was given fresh burrata and tomato and homemade olives and freshly baked bread and soprasada. I mean, every kind of imaginable antipasto kind of thing. I'm already stuffed on the burrata and the tomatoes and out comes all this food. Everything you want, grilled zucchini and sausage and chicken and salad and a million kinds of pasta. Of course, I couldn't eat the pasta, but it didn't matter. 
I was just pigging out like a maniac. So I spent the whole weekend eating and the whole weekend hanging out with my girlfriend's family and I had a great time, but it was kind of an alien thing to me, you know, to have all those people and all that food. Like my mother put out a ton of food, but it was like, it came out of a can. Once, you know, she used to make goulash and meatballs. She used to cook when I was younger. And then it all ended. I think a few things happened. I think it was like the three M's. The microwave kind of prevented her from ever cooking again because she's like, why should I cook? And I can just stick something in the microwave and press one. Menopause, I think, took away all her enthusiasm for doing anything except for eating and farting and complaining to her children and complaining about her children. And the third M I'm going to say is madness. She got a little loopy in her older years, but she had a great sense of humor. But I digress. So I've had all this family, all this food, and here I am. Now time to get down to business. I got away this summer. I can't complain. I can complain because I'm Jewish, but, you know, I got to Canada, to Toronto and Montreal. I went to Provincetown. I complained about Provincetown. I went to check out New Bedford, and I loved it. I went to Mystic, Connecticut, and I loved it. And now I got to get, you know, pay the piper. So this week I'm cooking up a storm, like three weddings in one week. Oy vey, help me. And so I decided to go in today, which should have been my day off, Monday. Uh, Generally speaking, I can take Mondays off when I'm catering all weekend. And my darling, fabulous prep cook, Alethea, met met me there. And we decided to kind of make a, a little dent in this giant work week that we had. So the whole team's coming in the rest of the week, but we had the whole kitchen to ourselves. So I said, today's gonna be the day I make a bathtub, I mean, literally, of risotto. So Alethea, it's really Alicia, but I'm pronouncing it in the Barcelona way. Um, she chopped up all the onions for me, thank God, because I hate chopping onions. And I sauteed a boatload of onions, and I had warming up and coming to a boil, a big vat of vegetable stock. Then I added paprika and chili powder and salt and celery salt and garlic and turmeric too, brought that to a boil. So I saute this giant mess of onions in this huge pan. And then I throw in my arborio, my risotto rice, cook that up and get it really translucent. Then I throw in a whole bottle a fairly decent wine. I know you're like, you're cooking with decent wine, but I drank a little to make sure it was good because I had to, it's my job, you know. It was a good Sauvignon Blanc. Whole bottle of Sauvignon Blanc went in. Cooked that down and then I just started feeding it the stock. So the nice thing about risotto is, you know, when you cook rice, you may sit there worrying, is it gonna be overcooked or undercooked? Did I add too much or not enough water? All these things you might think about, but you don't have to do any of that with risotto. You just kind of keep adding your stock, and when it cooks off, you add more stock. So I add like a cup and cook it off, and another cup and cook it off, and another cup. You just keep doing that. It's kind of fun. You stir it, you let it soak in, and then you add more. And when it gets to where it's still kind of al dente, but that you could eat it for lunch, it's got a kind of a toothy feeling to it. And if you ever had risotto, you know what I mean. Then you know you're done. But in this case, because it's going to be arancini, I wanted it just a little more al dente than if I was going to eat it for lunch. Although, I did give some to Alethea and my friend Harry for lunch, and they loved it. So then I took it off the stove, and I just mixed in a vat of Parmesan. And 
mixed that all up and then it was gorgeous. I adjusted the seasoning, beautiful, beautiful. And when it was cool, wrapped it up and put it in the fridge. That was the end of that for today. Tomorrow, and then I had Alethea cutting little bitty pieces of smoked Gouda, like little, like a, like a quarter of the size of a chiclet. We're talking little. Tomorrow she's going to get a ball of the nice cold risotto, stick the little chiclet of smoked Gouda inside, roll it around into a ball, and when all the balls are done, then we're gonna dip them in flour, which I'm gonna season with paprika and garlic powder, and in egg, which I'm gonna give a shot of Tabasco to, and then in breadcrumbs. That's the whole shebang, that's the arancini. And all of that's gonna go in the freezer until we're ready. And on Saturday, we're gonna deep fry it. We're gonna have a perfect, gorgeous arancini, which is gonna be gluten-free, because I'm using gluten-free flour and gluten-free breadcrumbs and the smoked good inside will melt in your mouth. Trust me, it's gonna be so delicious, abundanza. Anyway, so I was really cranking it out today. Meanwhile, while that was going on, if it wasn't enough, I seasoned up another bathtub of meat this time. So first we did the bathtub of risotto, then I seasoned up the bathtub of meat, and I gave it Old Bay and onion powder and garlic powder and salt and pepper and paprika and cumin and coriander and a little chili powder and some oregano and some Worcestershire. And God, it's it's really tasting good. Mix it all up as a great chopped meat. And Alethea spent the rest of the day shaping it into sliders. And wound, we wound up with 200 mini sliders. I mean, well, mini burgers, four sliders we put that into a deep freeze. And on Saturday, what we're going to do in the kitchen is sear those little burgers. And then we take them to the party and we assemble them. A perfect little Martin's potato roll. You know how those are so nice and soft. With a slice of iceberg lettuce, not a slab like my mother's. A slice of plum tomato and a slice of cheddar cheese and a little squirt of ketchup. And it's going to be a perfect gorgeous cheeseburger. People are gonna go nuts for it. Forget about it. So what's the moral of this story? I don't have a moral. I don't have time for morals. Moral schmarl. If you have a family, hooray for you. If you don't have a family, you know, make friends with someone who does, because it's kind of fun to go on these big events with a million people. As far as my family's concerned, well, you know, what can I say? I got a certain amount of love, I got enough love, and I'm making it, you know? At least I have a few nieces and nephews that are, you know, kind of in the stratosphere somewhere. So, in the meanwhile, I'm just going to enjoy my girlfriend's big, giant Italian family. You know, like that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding? She's got a big, giant Italian family, and they're a lot of fun. So hats off to you, big, giant Italian family. You're a lot of fun, and you really know how to throw a party, and you're a very generous host. That's one thing I can't stand is someone who invites you over for lunch or dinner and doesn't give you a lot of food. What is that about? I mean, that really happened one time. I remember I went over to someone's house for dinner and I had to go out for dinner after. Forget about it. So if you're going to have someone over, feed the hell out of them. And if you have a big Italian family, enjoy them. I'm a donza. What a nice thing. Meanwhile, I'm going to shut the hell up because I'm just rambling. What am I making tomorrow? Tomorrow is going to be my famous pad thai dressing. I think I've talked to you about that. 
And we're around the world in 30 days of this week because I'm doing Spanish food and Italian food and pad thai and chicken satay. It's going to be an interesting week. I'll keep you posted. Maybe next show I'll fill you in on how all that worked out. Well, this is Rossi. Rossi Big Mouth. Yes, I am. You can call me Chef Rossi if you like or Chef Rossi Big Mouth for raging and eating. And as always, food is love and so are you. Now go out and have some abundanza. Eat something for crying out loud.